This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Okay, well, if you're new today to First Baptist, uh, we are in a study of the book of First Peter, and we're calling it Living Hope. Hope is sort of the theme that winds its way through uh, the letter of First Peter, and so we're looking at different dimensions of our, the hope that we have in, in Christ. So we're just kind of walking through that verse by verse, and today we've come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, which is about winning in and hope. There's a lot here about marriage in this text. There's a lot here about relationships in general in this text. And so we're, we're talking about winning in hope. First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Um, if, you, if you have a Bible, uh, turn there. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the pews, it's on page 1015. Page 1015, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you would stand in honor of God's word as we look at it together. <clears throat> Peter says, in the same way, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way that their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles or wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have also become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we um, come before your word now, we, we ask for grace to, to understand it. Lord, as we just sung about grace, we know that you, you've given us grace to, to be able to understand what you're saying to us in your word. And we pray that you would do that today by the power of your, your spirit. For those of us uh, here who are, are, are married, we, we pray that you would help us to, to really uh, grab a hold of the principles that are in this text, that we would experience the abundance that you would desire for us to have in, in marriage. And uh, for those of us who are, are single here, uh, there are all kinds of principles uh, that go far beyond marriage here that apply to all relationships. And so... We, we pray that you would, would give us healthy relationships, relationships that, that win, and that you would show us that in your word today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one time the, the great uh, football coach Vince Lombardi was, was being interviewed, and if you know anything about 
Lombardi. Uh, he was Hall of Fame coach of the Green Bay Packers, but he was all about winning, <laughs> and uh, almost fanatically so. And one time, Lombardi was, was being interviewed, and, and the interview said, you know, but coach, winning isn't everything, <laughs> to which Lombardi replied, that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Well, as, as followers of Jesus, um, we know that there's a, there's a winning that, that, sh- that goes far beyond a game <laughs> that should concern us. And, 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 and the Apostle Paul talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians 9. And it's going to be up on your, your screen. This is 1 Corinthians 9 and verses 19 and following, where Paul says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, uh, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law, to the weak I became weak. In order to win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by, I, I may by every possible means save some. So as, as followers of Christ, we're to be about winning, <laughs> but, but winning for something that goes beyond ourselves. Paul here is talking about winning in relationships, And he's talking here about loving other people and caring about other people that that they might come into a relationship with Christ. And so winning them to that. And in a way, that's, that's what Peter is communicating here to husbands and wives at the beginning of, of 1 Peter 3. Now, this text has a lot, it's talking about marriage, and so we're going to talk some about marriage this morning, but, but really the principle goes beyond just that. Because Peter is, is writing here to husbands and wives with the understanding that some of them are married to spouses who are not yet in Christ. And so part of his concern here is, is how they can they can, can, can win over uh, their spouse to the, the Lord. But in the process of talking about that, he gives us larger principles. Principles about marriage, principles about relationships that go beyond marriage. So if you're single today, you're not going to just be kind of left out of a text on marriage. The principles here really go far beyond that. We're talking about winning in hope. And there are three aspects of that from this text that I want us to see. First of all, winning with humility. Winning with humility. So we see that in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at our Bibles together. He addresses wives, first of all, and he says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word, by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. So first of all, we need to deal with kind of the 
the countercultural word here <laughs> that we see in verse one about wives submitting to husbands. You know, one, one of the good things about preaching through books like we're doing with First Peter is that your pastor can't avoid difficult text, right? We just kind of deal with whatever comes next. So that's what we're doing here. Um, so what does the Bible talk about? This is not the only place in the New Testament when it talks about wives submitting to husbands. You see it in Ephesians 5. It's in, it's in Titus as well. So what is that all about? It's certainly a text that has been abused, misused. There are men who have taken this sort of as a, a license to be bossy and authoritarian and dictatorial in their marriage, rightly understood. It is none of those things. In fact, it's the opposite of that. And we're going to talk about what it means, but before that, I want us to talk about what it does, does not mean. So when, when you see these texts in the New Testament about the submission of wives, first of all, it does not imply that women are in any way inferior to men or, or, or wives to uh, husbands. In the Bible, from the very first chapter of the Bible, we see that, that men and women are both created in the image of God. And so in, in, in Genesis 1, it says that God made them male and female, and, and he created both male and female in the very image of, of God. And so therefore, from chapter 1 of the Bible through the last chapter of Revelation, the Bible is clear that both men and women are in every way equal. In, in value, in worth, in, 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 God's, in God's sight. Um, that's clear from, from beginning to end. And then you see passages like, like this in Galatians 3.28, where Paul says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so that rules out all racism. Uh, it, it rules out all uh, distinctions of, of, of class and socioeconomic status. And it rules out things like male chauvinism as well. And we, are, we are all brothers and sisters. We are all one in Christ. In fact, in verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, which we just read, how does Peter describe husbands and wives? He says, you're, you're both co-heirs of the grace of life. And we're gonna talk about what that beautiful phrase means in a, in a few minutes. So, so first of all, you know, submission does not imply, you know, women are any way inferior to men. Second, it, it does not mean that, that a wife has to sort of leave her, her brain or her will at the altar of marriage. And in, in fact, who is Peter addressing here in these verses? He is addressing wives who have made life's ultimate decision, the most important choice that they will ever make, which is to follow Jesus Christ as their savior and king. And it is not a decision that their husbands have made. And so Peter is, is talking here to, to women who, who far from sort of you know, leaving their, their will, their own individual will at the altar. No, these, these women have made the ultimate decision of their lives to become followers of Christ. And that's a decision that at this point their husbands have, have not made. 
And that leads us to the third thing that submission is not. It does not mean that a wife should follow her husband's lead into sin. <laughs> These wives are, are married to husbands who, who are sinning by rejecting Christ. And, and, and Peter is saying here to these wives, you know, you, you, you cannot, you have not, and you cannot follow their, their lead into that because your ultimate authority is not your husband, it's God. So what does the Bible mean when it talks about sort of uh, the principle of, of submission in, in marriage? Well, what, what, it, what he is saying here is, is, is as, as wives, you should, you should want to follow the, the servant leadership of your husband, not blindly and not unquestioningly. In fact, wives, believe me, your husbands need you to question them. They desperately need that. And, and husbands, we should not even wait for that. We should be, before any major decision, we should be asking our wives, you know, what do you think of this? So that um, there's, there's that kind of mutual humility within the, the relationship. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 21 and 22, because you see here kind of the, the context. This is another passage where Paul talks about this. In verse 21, he's not just talking to wives, he's talking to everybody, men and women, husbands and wives, if you're married. He says we are to be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, and only then does he say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But in verse 21, he's talking about everybody. And so if you are a follower of Christ, man or woman, husband or wife, you are to have a, a humble, submissive spirit. And what this looks like in a marriage is that both of you are seeking to put the other person first. And when you have that, when you've got a husband who is seeking to put his wife first, her, her needs, uh, her what would be best for her and when the wife is trying to do the same thing you know you've got sort of this this mutual humility and it makes for a lot of happiness in marriage when you have two people in the marriage and they're both out for themselves <laughs> then you've got problems and in fact god really puts more of the burden on this for this humility really on the husband um, just a few verses later in Ephesians 5, he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the highest standard that there could possibly be for love. He's saying that, that as husbands, we are to love our wives as Jesus has loved us. How has Jesus loved us? He gave himself for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He laid down his life for us. This is how we are to love our wives. Not as bosses, but as self-sacrificing servants. And so within a healthy marriage, the ground of that 
is humility. Humility. We, we win with humility. And listen, when you think about the larger principle of helping people come to know Christ, as Peter writes to some of these wives, knowing that their husbands are not yet in the Lord, how does he say to win them over? He says, he, he talks about the fact that they may be won without a word. Now, the presumption here is that they've already shared the gospel with their husbands. They've already spoken the good news about Jesus, that there is a Savior who has come, who died for our sins and who rose from the dead. Peter's presuming that the wives have shared the gospel with their husbands. But there comes a point in time when you've done that, when, when what's going to be more compelling is the quality of your life. Are, are you living this out in front of your spouse? Because that's a means whereby God can open their hearts. And so winning with humility. Second, winning with heart. Winning with heart. Look in your Bibles at verses 3 and 4. He's continuing to talk to wives, but the principle here is going to go beyond just wives and women. He says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles or wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is, is of great worth in God's sight. Now, Peter here is not forbidding uh, you to, to look nice. <laughs> he's not really forbidding any, any certain, the wearing of, you know, he's not saying it's, it's wrong to wear gold jewelry or, you know, any jewelry. He's not saying that it's wrong to have a certain hairstyle or to, or to wear nice clothes. That's not the point. The point is that in a fallen world like ours and and with the sinful natures that we all have in both the first century in which this was written and in the 21st century, there is always a temptation for us to be more preoccupied with externals than with our heart. There's always a temptation for us to be more concerned about outside appearances than the inward reality of our heart. And what he's saying here is that our number one preoccupation should be what is happening in your heart? How healthy is your heart? today because you know what everything else in life is flowing from that proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says this keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life you know jesus taught that that everything else in life all of our behavior, it's all flowing from within, from our hearts. And so the writer of Proverbs here is saying, tend to your heart. Tend to the condition of your heart because everything else is flowing from that. There's a great story about a, an alpine village. And this particular village really depended on their river for their, their drinking water. And, and really it was kind of what, what sustained the, the town. 
And one time they were, the town council was kind of doing an analysis of their budget. And so they were looking at all the line items and the, their, their budget for the town. And they came to a line item called the Keeper of the Springs. And, and one of the members of the town council said, hey, who, who's this guy? And they said, oh, you know, it's some guy who lives way up in the, in the mountains. He's, he's kind of reclusive. You rarely see him. But his job is to sort of tend to the, the source of the river, the sp- where the springs come out and really a flow into the river. And his job is to sort of keep away the debris and trash and things like that from the springs. And so some members of the town council said, ha, you know, this is unnecessary pork in the budget. Uh, we, don't, we never even see this guy. You know, who is he? We can, we can get along without him. And so they strike it from the no more keeper of the springs. The first year in the town, they noticed that the river just didn't sparkle as much. But they said, hey, we can, we can live without the sparkle. The next year, people started getting sick. And the third year, people started dying because the water was contaminated, because no one was tending to the springs. One of the most important things you can do in a marriage or in any relationship is to tend to your own heart. There's a pastor, a Scottish pastor named Robert Murray McShane and he was talking to pastors one time, and he, says, my, he said, my people's greatest need, the people in my church, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. You, you could apply the same thing in marriage. Your spouse's greatest need, husbands and wives, your spouse's greatest need is your personal holiness. Your personal walk with the Lord. Because you know what? you are never going to be able to love them with the way that they really need to be loved unless Christ is your first love. It's his love that gives us the grace to love our spouse the way that they need to be loved. And so guard your heart And when we think about just the the, the whole issue of helping other people to come into a relationship with Jesus, they're not going to be able to listen to our words about Jesus unless they see the reality of the love of Jesus in our lives. They, They need to see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Guard your heart. And so we win with humility. We win with heart. Third, he says we win with prayers that are not hindered. Winning with prayers that are not hindered. Let's look at verse 7. He's talking now to husbands. He says, in the same way, husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker partner, when he talks about weaker there, he's talking about physical strength, right? He's not, again, he's not 
talking about any other aspect, but, um, you know, and that's clear from the previous verse, talks about uh, intimidation. Men can use their physical intimidation to bully uh, their, their wives. Um, he says in a Christian marriage, none of that. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor. Instead of denigrating your wives, which was common in, in, the, in the culture in which this was written, I mean, women were just, they were just viewed as less than, they were treated that way by husbands. In Christianity, it was not that way. The call is for husbands to honor Honor your wives, showing them honor as what? This is so beautiful. As co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I've been reading a lot in Isaiah recently in, in, my, uh, in my quiet time in the mornings. And, and one of the themes that comes across again and again and again and again in Isaiah and in many of the prophets is that God is telling people, do not come to me with your religiosity and your piety if you are at the same time mistreating other people. God says, I'm not impressed with it. I don't need it. Don't come to me with it. Don't come to me with your piety if at the same time you are mistreating other people, if you are oppressing other people. Well, the way that we treat other people, if you're married, begins <laughs> with the people who are in your house. Hello, right? It starts there. How are you treating the people who are around you? Um, and he's saying here to, to, to husbands, this is how I want you to love your wives. I want you to live with them in an understanding way. I want you to show them honor. I want you to understand that the two of you are co-heirs of my grace. You know, having two daughters has, has changed me in many ways. It's been helpful to me in many ways. It's changed the way that I, I look at a lot of things. But I, I find myself now praying for, you know, if it's God's will for them to eventually marry, I'm, I'm, I'm already praying for their husbands. I don't know who their husbands are going to be, but I'm, I'm praying for them because I love these girls and I, I want I want, if they're going to be married, I want their husbands to be this kind of a husband. And so I'm, I'm praying already that, that, that God would be forming and, and shaping these guys into the, the, the kind of men that I would want to be married to my daughters. But you know what? If, if my daughters do eventually marry, their ultimate ultimate father-in-law is not going to be me. <laughs> it's going to be God the Father, right? Because, because husbands, our, our wives are daughters of the king. Don't mistreat the king's daughters. I love this. This is um, Gary Thomas 
in his book about marriage, he, he writes this. When I realized that I was married to God's daughter, everything changed in the way I viewed marriage. It was no longer about just me and one other person. It was very much a relationship with a passionately interested third partner. Most of us fail to grasp just how fully God loves the person to whom we are married. As a father of three children, I fervently pray that each one will marry a spouse who will love them generously, respect them, and enjoy them. I realize that each of my children has certain quirks or limitations that may test a future spouse's patience, but I pray that their spouses will be kind in those areas rather than use them to belittle my children. I hope with all my heart that each will find a partner who will encourage them with a gracious spirit. I know my kids aren't perfect, but I want them to have spouses who will love them despite their weaknesses. In the same way, God is fully aware of our spouse's limitations. And he is just as eager for us to be kind and generous with these faults as we are for our kids' future spouses to be kind to them. By looking at my spouse through God's eyes, I invite God into my marriage. Invite God into your marriage. Let him be right at the center. And then, husbands, what, what else does he say here in, in, in verse 7? He says to live with your wives in an understanding way. That involves communication. <laughs> that involves listening as well as talking. It might mean that our time kind of binging out on sports and Netflix needs to be curtailed so that there can be more daily conversation in addition to some special times of date nights and getting away where we can, can have more extended time to, to talk. But that, the communication needs to be daily because we need to learn how to, we need to learn one another and it's a lifelong process of, of learning, of trying to understand one another. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that big on, on sort of uh, tests, but, but sometimes there can, there can be tools. And we, we need to be careful. This is, not, this is not the Bible. It's not the gospel. Um, but, some, but, you know, God allows people to invent sometimes tools that can be uh, helpful to us in, in, in marriage. Melissa and I have, have really benefited from the Enneagram, I've got to tell you. Um, it's simple. It takes about 10 minutes to do. Uh, you can go online. Um, I think we have it. Uh, well, once again, the church library. Okay. All right. Enneagramtest.net. You don't even have to type this in. If you just simply Google fast Enneagram test, this will automatically come up. But you know, it, it takes 10 minutes or so to, to just kind of do the test, and it's free, and it will give you the results. But, but you know, it's, one of, it's a tool that has really been helpful to the two of us to help us understand ourselves. And we found it to be very accurate <laughs> when it comes to us. And it's helped us to understand one another better, and it's given us different points to talk about. In fact, our our whole family 
did it, and it's been a kind of a wonderful resource just to sort of live with one another in a more understanding way. So I, I commend that to you. There are many other helpful things um, as well. But live with your wives in an understanding way. And then this beautiful, beautiful expression here at the end of verse 7, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. What a beautiful vision of marriage. Husbands and wives, co-heirs of grace. Now, turn back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter, uh, and let's look at, at verses 3 and 4. You remember when we were in chapter 1? Peter began the body of this letter by talking about the inheritance that we have in Christ. And what does he say here? 1 Peter um, 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What a beautiful picture of the gospel and the Christian life. It's all based on mercy, right? It's God's compassion toward us. And what has he done in his mercy? He has given us new birth. When we turned to Jesus as our Savior and King, we were born again. We were given a new birth into what? Into a living hope. And it's a living hope because we've got a living Savior. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because of that, what is our future like as believers? He says in verse 4 that we, we've come into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, go back to chapter 3 and verse 7. What does he call us as husbands and wives? He says we're co-heirs, right? Because, why? Because we have this mutual inheritance in Christ. We've got this amazing, glorious future that is awaiting us. And so we're co-heirs together of that. Just before the beginning of the service, I was on the phone with, um, with Marvin Barnes, who many of you know, and you know Helen. Uh, on Thursday, they celebrated their 72nd anniversary. Or this Thursday, 72 years so this past, no, past Thursday, this past Thursday, 72 years of marriage, right? Um, and he was telling me that she had taken another fall at the end of the week and they'd had to go to the hospital and uh, it's just been kind of another setback, you know, for her care and we need to be praying for them. But I watch that couple and other couples in our church who have done this over the long haul and, I, and I've seen this play out 
I've seen you walking hand to hand, hand in hand, as, as co-heirs of grace. And, and when you think about it, when you think about the inheritance that awaits us as believers, and you think about the trials that the Barneses are going through and, and many others, and, and when you think about the grief that, that many suffer and, and the loss of a spouse, and our church has had lots of that recently. But I want you to think about this. We have this incredible inheritance that is waiting for us. One day the trials are going to be over, completely over, right? No more tears. The, 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 the physical issues that we deal with, with, you know, with... With, with aging or, or disease or things like that are gonna be no more. Even the, even the struggles that we go through in marriage as two sinners who are trying to do life together, one day all of that is gonna be over, right? The, the, this, these, these, these trials are momentary. We've got an inheritance that's forever. And because of that, because of that, Peter is saying here that we can, we can walk, if you're married, you can walk hand in hand with your spouse through these trials, knowing that the future is glorious and that hope in the present transforms everything so that you can, you can live with a living hope because of the resurrection of Christ. And, and if you're single, we've got a church family of brothers and sisters, sacred siblings that we can walk arm in arm, supporting one another through everything that life deals us, knowing that we are co-heirs together and that the glorious inheritance awaits us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the incredible promises of the gospel. We, we pray that the, the living hope that we have found in Christ will sustain us uh, in the present. This life does have its share of trials. And even when we think about marriage, it's not easy. It has its challenges. Um, and relationships in general have their challenges. Uh, Lord, your word gives us answers. And we, we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would deal with all of our hearts, that we would be filled with the hope that comes from a relationship with Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. 
I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.